A lot of people think if you do end up in a psych hospital, it's because you've been dragged off by a two guys in a van. But it was actually an incredibly logical thing. I, I had an appointment with my psychiatrist and I said, I think I need to go to hospital for a bit. I think I can tell that if I don't, this will go down that same path again. I was really proud of myself because it was a huge deal for me to see it coming and do something preventative rather than go to a hospital because of something catastrophic that had happened and I stayed there for three and a half weeks and it was the smartest, best thing I did. I needed meds readjusting, so they readjusted my meds, got my sleep on track, got my diet sort of on track. It's not as dramatic and like in the movies as what people think. It's just a, a really healthy, smart thing to do if this is a problem that you have. That is author, writer and award-winning podcaster Rosie Waterland. And this is episode 302 of Better Than Yesterday. G'day and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg and this is my podcast, episode 302 of the show with Rosie Waterland, a podcast which is a conversation guaranteed to hopefully make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's the size of it. It's great to have Rosie back on the show. Her second visit here, the first time we visited with Rosie was episode 101. I recommend you go back and have a listen uh, to that if you if you don't know who Rosie is. Um, who am I? I'm a TV and radio guy from Sydney, Australia. I have a teenage stepdaughter, an infant son, an incredible wife. I work in a TV capacity on a show called The Bachelor and a show called The Masked Singer, which is starting... Next week, this time next week is our first night, which is pretty exciting, September 23rd. Um, Thanks very much to everybody who listened to the show through the week and rates and reviews the show, and also everybody that recommended another person to listen to the show. That is the best thing you can possibly do for us to tell someone else about it. Um, But a big thanks especially, and just to encourage more people to rate and review the show on iTunes, I'd like to say a big thanks especially to Katrina, who wrote, this podcast has changed my life for the better. Your calming influence and words of wonder and delight fill my head. Thank you for such a great podcast and help any change the stigma around mental illness. Keep on keeping on. Thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, that's super good. And Kath, thank you so much for your well wishes um, for us and Wolfie. That's very nice of you. Thank you so, 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 so much. Um, Also, a big thanks to everybody that sent in a picture of where they're listening. It's always a kick to find out where you're listening to the show. You're probably listening to this on a phone. There are a few people that work on a desktop, um, mostly in labs, because they can't have phones or you know, they work in a situation where they can't use their mobile phone inside their workplace for security purposes, so they listen on a on a web browser. Um, but if you're using a phone that has a camera in it, just take a photo of what you're looking at right now and send it in, send off your email at gmail.com. Bit of pod... Oh, that's Wolfie just having a cough in the background. Thanks, Wolfie. Um, a bit of podception from Elle, who took a photo of her view from a ferry between islands in Thailand because she was listening to an episode which featured Susan David, where I talked about a photo that she had also sent in of her on a bus in Norway, which is excellent. Uh, Thank you so much for taking us on your adventures all over the world. Please send me uh, your podsies. uh, Send us your email at gmail.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So my guest today is author, writer, comedian, and award-winning podcaster Rosie Wartle, and her books, The Anti-Cool Girl and Every Lie I've Ever Told, have been bestsellers and rightly have won critical acclaim for the good reason that she has an unflinching ability to tell a harrowing tale while making you laugh. It's a rare skill indeed. Rosie's award-winning podcast, My Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie, is everywhere that you find podcasts, as is her brand new podcast, the TV podcast, Just The Gist, which you'll find where you listen to the podcasts. You're doing so right now. If you haven't heard the first time Rosie came on the show, we talk about that quite a bit at the start of this show. It was episode 101. We were both in very different places, but it's an interesting time capsule. I say that right off the bat, and I'll tell you this right now, that this conversation deals with Rosie and I discussing childhood trauma, suicide, mental illness, and psychiatric hospitals. If you need someone to talk to, do the right thing. Don't wait. Pick up the phone. Talk to someone. Um, I am in tears at one point in this show. So I'm just letting you know that it, it's not lightweight, this one. There's also, uh, in completely unrelated, there's also a lot of Survivor talk. So if you're not caught up with the latest season of Australian Survivor here in 2019, um, don't be silly. Get on board because we're about to spoil a whole bunch of stuff for you. You can find Rosie Waterland online everywhere. She's at Rosie Waterland, R-O-S-I-E, Waterland. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, that's where she is. And an extra special note at the top here, now that Wolfie is in our lives, that's him behind me now, um, you can hear him because this is the space that I use to make podcasts and I record the intros to the shows, but it's a little tricky having guests um, for the amount of time that I need them around feeding and everything. So for the time being, I have to thank very kindly Clancy and Errol over at the Batuta Advocate. Um, they've let me use the Desert Rock FM studios to make this podcast for the foreseeable future and it's super fun going in there because it's quite the operation and it's extraordinary to be around that crew of people. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful to them and Anthony who uh, works at Batuta as well for uh, helping set up this up today. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Rosie Waterland. So number one, 
How great is this, Rosie? Yeah. I'm so happy we're doing this again. I know. This is really great. You- well, because I listened to our first, someone sent me a tweet saying, I just listened to your thing with Oshi, which was over four years ago. Yeah, it was now. a while back now, yeah. And so then I went and listened to it and I was like, oh my God, both our lives have changed so, so much. So much has happened. And so that's when I uh, messaged you and I said, get me back in. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful you did. Because yeah. four years ago I was, um, I was on the antipsychotics at mm. that point. I was on it all. I think I yeah. even mentioned that. I was like, I was saying on my yeah. hips and meds. I wasn't saying that I was antipsychotics at the time, but I was on fucking so many meds at the yeah. time. And I needed it. But, yeah, now life could not be. Uh, what's hilarious is that you're the first person to call me Oshi and now so many people, <laughs> my kid calls me that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she calls me that, which well, is. Well, I remember last time you said um, Audrey had um, especially done your hair that day. <laughs> she did. She's like, you're seeing Rosie Wardle uh, yeah. you can't go. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was still just your girlfriend now? She was still my girlfriend. Now she's wife. My, now my two wife. Two kids. And, and two New kids. little one, Wolfie. Family, Wolfie, yeah. It's all, it's all happening. It's and all I'm happening. sorry. I'm sorry I haven't given you a similar hair experience uh. today, but <laughs> I was up at, uh, I can't, look, it's baby time. Well, you texted me at, I think, 6 a.m. I'd been up Which for a while. I didn't get until I woke up three hours later. <laughs> yeah. I've been up a while. Uh, yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm doing some radio today. So I've probably, but I've, I haven't shaved. Uh, you know, I've got a beard. <sighs> Come on, Oshi. You always look fabulous to me. <laughs> you always look fabulous to very, me. Very sweet of you. But I did notice the grey streak is really, really kicking on. Yeah, you got a bit Mr. Sheffield. It's, um, it's definitely happening. Well, so that's the thing. Streak. Guys get to go grey. Well, it's. I was going to say the yeah. salt and pepper, the very light smattering salt and pepper looks quite good on you. But Women don't get that luxury. Oh, no, they're not allowed. Women in that 40s don't, on television no, 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 don't no, no. get that luxury. No, nah. not at all. I'm allowed to have crags in my face, mm. but a woman of my age would oh. need to be going to visit Dr. Pan. God, yeah, you, you can't really go grey. You're either you have to look as young as you can until you hit like Judy Dench. Yes. Then you cut your hair really short and make it icy silver grey. Yeah. That's, well, and, that's when you're allowed. And star in films about holidaying on the south of, you know, yes. Spain. and, and Yeah, and with re- other retirees. And just rediscovering your, your <laughs> yeah, youth. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. You've got to wait for that <laughs> point and, and then Maggie Smith. And yes, then you're away. Exactly. What's a weekend? That's it. Quietly on the. I am quite excited about the Dance and Abbey film. I don't <laughs> know too. where I'm gonna, how I'm gonna sneak out and watch it because it would be rather good. I'm just, psyched for it. I just, yeah, I don't know how they're gonna bring everybody back. Uh, well, anyway. someone's gonna die. It's gonna, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, someone's gonna come back to life. It's gonna, yeah. It's gonna be as long as it's better than Sex in the City two. That's all I. That's all I really care about. Well, which is isn't any film better than Sex in the City two? True, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. But I'm so grateful that that you're here. I mean, to explain to people, we are we're actually not in my house. I normally do these in my house, but my house is an apartment and. Right now there's a baby there mm-hmm. and the place I normally do a podcast is now a baby room and so we're in the Batuta studios uh, yes. of the Batuta Advocate fame. Mm. So we, we truly are on the, you know, on the cutting, bleeding edge of new media right. here and um, I couldn't be happier that you're here. I was thinking about the, the day that I met you was the day that I came to do a very early episode of this podcast with your old boss Mia at the old office at, by the harbour. Yeah, when Mamma Mia was still just about seven people sitting around one table. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was tiny. It's now about 170 people. Yeah. I can't believe they're still in the same office though because it's bursting at the seams. That, the newer, bigger one. It's colossal. Yeah, I haven't been there since I, you know, stopped working there. But w- even when I was there, it was 
chockers yeah. and it's even bigger now. And it's it's just a it's a really exciting time to be doing this and you know you obviously have had great success as an online publisher and you've only ever known online really as where your success has has been so enormously and and you know now as a award-winning podcaster yes my friend um <laughs> you know this it's interesting as i straddle this kind of new media old media thing there's still enormous power in television mm. and there is power in radio, but I can see very clearly with the moves being made by major radio companies towards podcasting that they can see it. Mm. They see it coming and they wouldn't be investing like radio stations building entire podcast studios. And Well, yeah, that's the situation I'm in. Like I, my first podcast was with Podcast One, which is um, owned by Southern Cross Stereo. So that's like... Hit FM, Hit and FM Triple M. Triple M, all that stuff. Um, and they have a, an entire designated studio yeah. that's very fancy. And they have been super generous in investing a lot of... Like, you know, it's not just um, money they invest, but just great producers, really supportive. Because I don't know how to do the tech side of anything. And so people work really closely with me so that it you know the end product is exactly what I want yeah even though I have no skills to make it that way like it's yeah it's really great the operation they've got set up there yeah and and that's the wildest part as you think about how many people access podcasts it's it's less than 10 percent you know but they can see it coming you know they're all investing because I mean that was this smart brilliant thing that Mia Mia Friedman did at Mama Mia she picked years ago that podcasts were going to be huge. And when she started, I remember everyone was like, uh, they're not really a thing. It's probably just a phase. And But she was like, no, we're sticking. And now the Mamma Mia podcast network is like, it's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a monster. She's always good at predicting stuff like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that she did because that I, I got a chance to, to meet you. Yes. And, um, yes, so much has changed. I was trying to think the last time I saw it, I don't know if I've seen you before since then, but it was the night of um, a live show that I was doing at Giant Dwarf. Oh, yeah. And, and you popped up out of the crowd yeah. after the show yeah. to give me a hug. Uh, this is off the back of the book. And you just grabbed me by the hand and you said, watch out because these live shows might take you down. Mm. And I was like, huh? And he went, and, and, you, and would you, we might get into it if you, if you want. I don't yeah, know. sure. Um, and I said, what do you mean? And then sure enough, within, I don't know, three or four of doing these live shows, I'm on the phone to – I work with Sane Australia as a, as yeah. a director of the, on the board there. I was on the phone to their peer um, ambassador coach going, I've got – and it's amazing. I meet people after the show. I meet 100 people, mm. 200 people after the show. If I meet 100 people, 20 of them will share stories of yeah. trauma with me. And I'm like – I don't know what the fuck to do with that. Yeah. You know, because I'm on stage disclosing people. And for the first time, mm. I was also really aware that, like, this might be the first time they've spoken out loud mm. about this. What the, f- how do I do it? What do I do? And, like, some nights just going home, just going, oh. And they gave me some really great tips about, you know, here's how to survive it. You know, like, don't mm. do anything the next day, plan nothing the next yeah. day, you know. And, but it, I mean, I, I lost my voice completely on one show. and Yeah. But I remember it and, and, and I should tell you that <laughs> I did the live show because <laughs> I saw you when you wrote your first book, yeah. The Anti-Cool Girl, 
I saw a poster for you on a building site going, what the fuck, she's doing live shows? <laughs> That's a really smart idea. Yeah. I should do that. And so I wanted to do a live show because you did a live oh, show. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, it's fun. I, As a writer, so much of what I do is so solitary. And because I'm freelance now, I'm, I'm not often in an office anymore. So doing live shows is just a really fun way to share your creativity in real time which yes. I don't often get to do. I've got another one that's coming in February, um, starting tour in, new tour in February. But, yeah, it's the funnest stuff I do because I went to drama school, so I miss being on stage and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I wrote songs specifically yeah. so I could get up on stage and <laughs> live the rock fantasy that I lived, you know, in my 20s and then stopped when I started in radio and television. Yeah. Um, so, like, no, I want to get back on stage and, do, and sing again <laughs> and and got good diddly guitar parts to play. And, and but it's, you know, it's a great show. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun to do. It's over now, but it was, it was I think we did, like, eight or ten of them. It does take it out of you, though. Like, I remember... I remember having that conversation with you and I've, I've had it with a few other people who have um, decided to tour or even just people who are touring a book that's like quite a difficult memoir or whatever because I was shocked at how difficult I found it. Not just um, having to get up on stage and essentially relive quite traumatic things night after night after night, um, but then also I, you know, do meet and greets afterwards and people do want to tell you very personal moving things about themselves because you get up on stage and tell them things about, you know, I talk about childhood abuse and my addicted parents and, and all that kind of stuff. And even though you are telling hundreds of people, they then all feel like they want to share that specifically with you. So they're getting one story and you're getting hundreds. Yes. Um, and after my shows, I'll have a line of like 100 people and and they all want to come up to you and they all have about, you know, I, I don't like to cut people off, but you do have to keep the line moving. And so you get to this awkward place where you're like, oh, my gosh, your experience is valid. That sounds awful. But also there's more people waiting and it's very you're taking a lot in and it's exhausting. And I've had to say to people, like, after my shows, I need to go back to the hotel and just not talk to anyone. The next day I'm the same, nothing scheduled. Um, usually try to keep the week light if you can <laughs> because... It's intense. It's an intense emotional experience. It, it really... It's like keeping a wound open and not letting it heal until you're done, which can be very hard to manage. I'm, and it's interesting you say that because I'm, when I was writing the book, Audrey would see me at the end of the day because I would basically go into the office, which is now the baby room, mm. and I'd come out and she'd see my face and be like, oh, you need to go for a bike ride. Yeah. Go and get on your bike, come back in an hour. Yeah. Like, okay. And I'm currently I'm, I'm putting a keynote together, yeah. like, like a, a basically a corporate version of what, um, what I did when yeah. you saw me. And she sort of looked at my face. She goes, oh, you're digging again? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I am. And she's just able to see it. Yeah. She's able to, oh, okay. Oh, I see what's, because she can see my face. She yeah. Are oh, you digging in the, yeah, I am again. I just, okay, all right. And um, yeah. It's been an interesting couple of years since I first met you, Rosie. I could never imagine that I would be where I am. Could you imagine <laughs> that you'd be? When I first met you, you hadn't even written a book yet. You were just writing a bachelor blog. Yeah. Um, no, I can't. I mean, I've written two books now, writing my third, 
God, I write for TV now, which is what I always wanted to do, not just about TV but for TV and, you know. Drama? um, Yeah, like I've written for a bunch of shows, uh, like been in the writer's room for a bunch of shows that are on TV. I'm also developing two of my own shows. One's a comedy, one's a drama. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, you know, I tour live stuff and mm. I, the podcast and yeah. um, I really just feel like so lucky that I'm just making a living um, getting to do any sort of creative thing I can think of. It's nuts. <laughs> I mean, I, ca- I can't, I can't believe it, really. But it didn't fall, you didn't fall into it. You, you have written about this. You studied the rhythm and the candor and the cadence of the jokes that you saw on television mm. and this particular style of TV that mm. we had, no Foxtel, no YouTube, it was just the sitcoms that were on the telly. <laughs> yes. And if you break them down, it's a formula, it's maths. There's a certain amount. If you load it up this much on one end, you have to pay it off that much at the other. Yep. You know, And if you start something here, you can do a callback, but it can't be that far away. It's got to be at this particular point in time, otherwise the callback loses its punch. Yeah. And there's a science behind it. That's that's what makes people laugh. And you studied that unknowingly, I guess, by memorising so much of it. And now it's it just feels normal for you to write that way. It must feel extraordinary. Yeah. Well, I always said as a kid, TV was my best friend. Like I've had a TV in my room since I was four years old, I think. And I did. I would, you know, no matter what horrible stuff was going on on the other side of my bedroom door with my parents or, who, you know, foster parents or whoever, I could shut the door and just focus on TV. And, um, and you know, I would tape it on a VHS tape mm-hmm. and then play it back and I would hand write it in a little journal, like transcribe the scripts. And I think it was just a, a lifelong well, childhood long education in TV. Yeah. Then I went to drama school, which is even more of an education in storytelling, essentially. Mm. And then I studied screenwriting at uni. So I took all the skills I had developed and figured out how to actually make them official. <laughs> and um, so it's, yeah, it's a, a lifetime of building up to this, cr- the career I have now, I it, guess. It, no, and then that, but that's exactly it. And yeah. I think that's the same for anybody. And I'm sure if we walked out the door and talked to these Batuta guys who are incredibly successful, yeah. I mean, they pay the rent on this office, yeah. which is not insignificant. In hey, a- man, I thought it'd be two guys in a Cooper's in a garage. This is a fancy office. It is. <laughs> in a very fancy part of Sydney. It is. Yeah. It is. I've seen the real estate prices of this part. Yeah. It's like, wow, you guys are making – they're doing hard work. Yeah. And there's a lot of them and it's it's an industry. And well, that was another thing, another – big part of my education was working at Mamma Mia and learning how to write quickly and how to put together, because, you know, I mainly wrote comedy there, put together funny stuff fast. I mean, the Bachelor recaps, you know, I would only get the episodes at like five o'clock on the day, so I'd have a couple hours to put those together. So it was, um, you know, it's learning how to strip back all the crap and only put the best stuff in improv writing, I guess, and that kind of pressure you know, develops comedy skills and, and writing skills in a way that I don't think I would have learned how to do if I hadn't worked there for the years that I did. Do you find sometimes in that the skill set, and I, I ask this only because I want to know if it's right for me, yes. um, that the skill set that you've, you've taken so long to develop yeah. that when someone asks something of you and you go, there it is, and they go, yeah, that's perfect. You go, I don't, it didn't take me that long to do. <laughs> I don't feel right that I did it so quickly. I forget that it, I didn't do it very quickly. It, I did it over 25 years. Yeah. But the 25 years allowed me to do it very quickly. I still feel a bit odd that I just put it out and people go, yeah, it's great. So do I. I do sometimes. 
people often ask me, you know, how do I, I want to be a writer. How do I write like you? How do I do it? And I never know what to say. I'm always like, well, first of all, write like yourself. But second, I don't know, just spend your life getting good at it, (laughs) which is what I've done. Um, But I do sometimes feel a weird kind of guilt that I can kind of punch something out very quickly but you're right. It is. It's not quick. It's taken a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's actually nice to hear. It, it, you, I I don't remember that often enough. I think. It, it, it is, and there's a great story. I don't know. I've told it before, but there's the great story. I'm probably going to fuck it up. The um, Pablo Picasso. I think he was sitting in his uh, local cafe on a public square in a piazza in Malaga in the south of Spain, and he was doing those those line drawings, those single yeah. line drawings of animals that he would do where the pen doesn't leave the page and he was just flipping over the sketchbook and, and he takes like 10 seconds to do each one and um, a woman was watching him over his shoulder this is before YouTube or the internet or so no one actually knew what Pablo Picasso really looked like mm. until you've seen a photo of him and she went and said oh this looks really interesting I'd love to buy one of those for you, off you and he goes yeah sure no problem she goes how much she goes oh, $112,000 <laughs> what that took you 8 seconds and he says no it took me 55 years yeah Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, because I often uh, felt very, because once my career took off, it took off quite fast. Um, The Bachelor recaps uh, that I was doing really blew up and then I got a book deal and then I started writing for television and I went on this comedy tour and everything kind of went bang, 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 bang. And I did often have a sense of, oh, like, how can I be filling thousand seat theatres when I haven't done the hard yards in tiny comedy bars? And how can I have a best-selling book when I didn't spend years, whatever? But then, you know, often it was my sisters actually who would say to me, but Rosie, you did spend years doing this. Like, your career may have taken off in a couple of years, but... It was a lifetime of hard yards getting to that point. And I, t- I say this to people all the time, you know, that the quickest way to get the equivalent of years of experience is to go and get years of experience. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it. Big time. That really, I'm sorry, yeah. there is no shortcut. It's not like Ikea where you can turn left at the sofas and boom, mm. now you're in bedroom. You actually have to walk the whole way around. Mm. You've got to do it. Got to do it. Can't go to the utensil section straight away. No. It's at the end. You've got to walk through the whole place. Hey, and you know what? If there's one positive thing to come out of having a very shitty childhood, it's that. <laughs> it's that experience is forced upon you. So at least take advantage of it, right? You talk about digging in the dirt. And mm. I, I asked this because it was asked of me and then we decided not to go ahead with it. Because I know the Australian story people do a very thorough, thorough job. Mm-hmm. When it's you telling your own story, because your Australian story, I was, I was grateful to be a part of. Yes, thank um, you for doing that. I was very way. grateful they asked me. <laughs> when the Australian story people come knocking, they're the ABC. People loved my episode and, you know, I got work out of it. I had people approaching me saying, I saw your Australian story. Would you like to work on this? Would you like, which is, you know what? I was like, yes, I'll take it. But um, I would say that you turning it down was a smart move, like deciding not to do your own. When we first started talking about it, this is before my book. Yeah. Okay. Before the book came out, uh, and my mum was still alive. That because they did such a thorough job of, mm. um, and your family would have done the same thing as they they started, you know, calling my brothers yeah. and trying to corroborate. And it was only like a day into the phone calls that I'm like, oh, I can't. No, we're going to have to pull this. Yeah. Because they started talking. I mean, I was prepared to go there. Mm. I was prepared to talk about that time in my life. It wasn't fair of me to then ask my brothers to then 
go there. I would have been interested to see, like, you pulled out after a day, which means you always get to look back and think, well, it would have been a great episode if we'd got to the end, but I'm not sure if anybody really likes handing their story over. If, if you hand... Here's the thing. I got so much of my power back after a lifetime of having no control over things, uh, you know, filled with childhood trauma and then dealing with PTSD and mental illness because of that. I got so much of my power back by taking control of my narrative and writing my book. It did the same for my sisters because the book was quite collaborative with my sisters also. And then I handed that power over to my mother, I think, when I agreed to do the podcast with her, when I let her question everything in the book. So that was quite difficult. And then I handed that power over again to, Uh, you know, producers of a show who, you know, only have half an hour to put your entire, cram your entire life into, you know, I think it's 28 minutes. And so, of course, it's not going to end up looking the way you imagined or liked or it, I felt like I had, um, given the power back that I had worked so hard mm. to um, build for myself. Yeah. I actually watched the episode while in psychiatric hospital. It's hard. It is. I'm interested mm. to ask this of you and I hope that you're okay to have this conversation with me because yeah. people may not understand how it works. Yeah. When you say, I watched it from a psych ward. Yeah. Large amounts of people's idea is, <laughs> you know, someone showed up, you were in a white coat. Yeah. And you got bundled off and taken away. Yes. Um, can you explain to people the escalation of how that works and how, you know, you go from I'm having a bad day, next day I'm having a worse day to yeah. can you explain how that kind of taking those steps of yourself because it might help people who, who don't realise that that's an option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, how, I'll explain it in the context of a longer story, shall I? Please. So, um Probably the biggest change in my life since you and I first met and did this podcast for almost, gosh, five years ago, almost, was that my best friend died, Tony. And he was um, essentially, I mean, a husband that I didn't sleep with. So I guess just a husband. There's that sitcom training. But he, you know, we lived together for almost 10 years. We knew each other from when we were 17. He, um, kids who um, have grew up with terrible families often build their families later in life. And he was my family. Like he was that person I'd chosen to be my family. And he died quite suddenly. He drowned three years ago, um, just in a very random accident. And um, I... Mental health-wise, thought I was on top of the world. Like, when I did my podcast with you last time, it was very much a story of redemption. Like, I had had really bad mental health problems in the past and I had had really bad PTSD, but now I was doing okay. And and I didn't realise that I felt really comfortable talking about all of that stuff because it was in the past. Like, I felt really comfortable saying, yes, like, I got to some really low places, but not anymore. Um and, you know, my career was gangbusters and everything was great. And then Tony died. And I think because I'd gotten quite cocky about my mental health, I had let the scaffolding that, you know, I should have constantly been working on, mm. I let that collapse. And so when Tony died, I had no tools anymore, like no armour, nothing behind me to deal with it. And I crashed quite significantly, quite quickly. A couple months after he died, um, I attempted suicide. And it wasn't long after that, that I ended up 
in psychiatric hospital for a month, which was my decision. You know, I just realised I wasn't doing well. I wasn't... The grief of losing Tony re-triggered a lot of my PTSD symptoms to do with, you know, parents who aren't around, significant people in your life who disappear, all that kind of childhood stuff came back when he died. And, you know, I am lucky enough that at this point in my life, I can afford the astronomical health insurance that goes along with um, being able to go to a private psychiatric facility, um, which in the past I haven't had that kind of money. So I'm lucky enough that if I need to, I can check into a dedicated psychiatric hospital where you can stay for extended periods um, to work on your mental health. So I did that not long after Tony died and I felt incredibly embarrassed and really ashamed that I felt like I had failed because I had been such an advocate for, um, you know, mental health and how talking about it is empowering and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And you and I had, you know, really detailed chat about it. And I was like, how, how did I get to the point where I attempted suicide? Like, how did I not see that coming? Because honestly, I didn't see it coming. And so then I spent a month in psychiatric care and really just realised, okay, I didn't see it coming because I'd gotten cocky about it. And mental health, particularly the ramifications of childhood trauma, are it's a lifelong thing you're dealing with. It doesn't go away. Like I'll be dealing with this forever, this mental health stuff, and um, I have to constantly be on top of it. And the thing that people with, I think, mental health problems don't realise is even when you're feeling good, you have to keep up the tools and the stuff that you do to make sure you're okay. Because the reason I crashed so hard is because I'd been on top of the world and I was like, well, I'll never need to take care of any of that kind of thing again. And so then when it happened, I was completely unprepared. And so after filming Australian Story, I started to notice that I wasn't okay. You know, little things like I wasn't leaving the house as much and I, I wasn't sleeping. Like one of the first things for me to go is my sleep. My sleep goes totally out of whack. I gained quite a bit of weight after Tony died. So I was just like, not really from changing my diet a huge, but just from inactivity, like, cause I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to, and I wasn't socializing. I was turning things, you know, invitations down. And so then I got, and this is probably, to be honest, the healthiest thing I've ever done is that I decided I needed to check into hospital before I crashed, <laughs> which a lot of people think, like you said, if you do end up in a psych hospital, it's because you've been dragged off by, you know, two guys in a van. And um, But I, it was actually an incredibly logical thing. I, I went and I had an appointment with my psychiatrist and I said, I think I need to go to hospital for a bit. Um, I think I can tell that if I don't, this will go down that same path again and I called you know he called the hospital because he referred me and um, they were like okay we can get you in on Monday so this was the Friday so I just you know got ready over the weekend packed my stuff went in on the Monday which is the day Australian story is so that was just like a weird coincidence that I checked in on the day the episode aired um, my sisters came into the hospital and we watched it together that night in my room wow but it was I was really proud of myself because it was a huge deal for me to see it coming and do something preventative rather than check in or you know go to a hospital because of something catastrophic that had happened, I 
could see that I was going down a bad path and that I wasn't feeling great. And I stayed there for three and a half weeks and it was the, you know, smartest, best thing I did. They just, they, it's, um, they get your sleep on track. That's the first thing they do. They organize if you need sleep meds, whatever. And it's very regimented kind of place. So, you know, you have to get up at 7.15, you go to breakfast, then you have therapy all day. Um, you have to go to the gym. There's like gym time. So they make sure you stay active. Um, then you have dinner and then after dinner you just kind of chill, do whatever, and you just do that every single day. And I needed meds readjusting, so they readjusted my meds, got my sleep on track, got my diet sort of on track, started exercising again. Like people have noticed recently that I've lost quite a bit of um, weight. I think it was really just because after Tony died I wasn't looking after myself and now I am again. Yeah, it's not as dramatic and like in the movies as what people think. It's just a, a really healthy, smart thing to do if this is a problem that you have. There's so thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> I feel like I just talked <laughs> quite a Rosie, long time. Rosie, it's fine, and I'm grateful you did because yeah. it's, I'm so grateful you shared that yeah. because so many people may not realise that that's what available what's available to them. Mm. They may be terrified of if I go to a psych ward, what's going to happen? They're going to strap me down and give me, you know. Uh, EST is like no, no, yeah, no, that's not how it works. Like, and you'd only get that if you consented, yeah, and you know, don't worry, it's <laughs> yeah. an incredibly holistic experience. Yeah. Like, there's you know, you have therapy all day with psychologists who, um, there's different things, like, one session will be about. Uh, I don't know, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy. One session will be about depression. Another session will be about anger management. And not every session applies to you specifically, but, you know, you, you're you just get learning. Out of it. Yeah. yeah, and then you also have single sessions where you go and see a psychiatrist yeah. or a psychologist. And, and if you want to do things like ECT, like shock therapy, you can, but you don't have to. Like, it's just... You know what? This sounds like... What you just described sounds like I see some... I've had to take Instagram off my phone. It comes and goes because yeah. I can't stop putting it down. It's a fucking pokey in my pocket. I'm, <laughs> I've got to be really careful. I'm with on it, it way too. I've got to be really much, careful. Yeah. With it. But I see sometimes some people I follow are like, come with me to Bali for a three week retreat. What you're describing is like, I want to go on that one. Well, I want to go there. We're like, yeah, it this is. This sounds great. <laughs> it is. Although I will say it's a lot of hard work yeah. because it is, you know, you're in therapy all day. And when I went right after Tony died, that was a particularly difficult time. Yeah. Um, this second time that I went was more just like, learning to understand that um, how I can prevent crashing again, which yeah. I think I did learn a lot. I mean, even just the fact that I checked into hospital before I did yeah. was a huge step for me. You know, I had friends saying to me, oh, my gosh, what I wouldn't give to have three weeks off. And I was like, no, it's not a holiday. No. <laughs> like, it is, though. I mean, in the way it's set up, it's quite similar. Yeah. But, you know, the therapy is, is hard work. It's well, tiring. Yeah. I'm currently... And when you get to bed at night, like, you know, you, you your bedtime, you don't have a bedtime, but, like, essentially around, you know, you want to be in bed by around 10.30 and I was always exhausted because yeah. that mental energy that you're spending every yeah. day working on this stuff, it's like quite intense. Yeah, I'm currently on, I'm working with a new therapist and I've got a daily thing of mm. uh, exposure mm. stuff that I have to do. That's hard. Because on days I don't want to do it, I kind of I yeah. put it off because I'm an idiot. Yeah. But to be like today, get up another day, here we go, yeah. exposure day today, yeah. fuck. All right. It's hard. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard work. It, it, it is. It's just like a never-ending CrossFit yeah. that you are always puffed yeah. and you always think you're going to fall over. Oh, I mean, I've, you've got to do it. I've been seeing my psychiatrist for 
almost 17 years. Wow. That's great. It's a great <laughs> relationship. It, I'm incredibly lucky to have him and the relationship that we have because there have been times where I just haven't turned up for weeks and weeks and weeks because your head is just like, I cannot go there today. It's too hard today. I, I don't do that anymore because I think when you get to a place where you're finally ready and strong enough to deal with your mental health stuff, you know, yes, therapy is going to be hard, but what's harder in the long run is if I don't go. So you find you finally do realise that. But, you know, that's taken 17 years of really hard work with that guy. So yeah. It's so there's So there's two things that you, you mentioned there and one, like, I really relate to and, um, like, A, that you saw it yourself mm. and that you pulled the trigger is humongous. I have recently gone back on meds. I was off for a year and a half. Yeah. And similarly to you, I was very much like, let's write a whole fucking book about coming off them. Yeah. I wanted to do a live show and stood in front of people and went, I'm <laughs> off meds now. Yeah. But I did put a qualifier in there. I'm like, I might have to go back on. Mm-hmm. And I was really like, oh, I don't have to go. And I, I'd, I'd written down all the things that happened to me yep. and the, the triggers, the warning signs, the things that I saw start to fray at the edges as I led towards when I had my break. Yeah. Not break as in holiday, break as in breakdown, so, break psychotic <laughs> yeah. break, when the psychosis started to kick yeah. in. And I started to see these things showing up. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm on that train track. It's not a road. It's a train track. Yeah. And there's only one way it goes. And there's only one speed and that's faster. Mm-hmm. All right. And I've got to there's, if I don't stop, I know exactly what's going to happen. But I was resisting. Mm. I was working a lot. You know, things are going well at home. Things are going well with G. You know, and there like- is, even though we are both incredibly vocal advocates for you know transparency about this stuff, a sense of shame that you totally. failed. That you failed. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was the fucking amazing humanity that is Audrey Griffin, mm. who uh, we had a weekend. It was like the last weekend we could travel before Audrey gave birth. Yeah, and. She, after this weekend, she just looked at me and she's like, you need to go to your doctor mm. and you need to get back on meds because I need you around and yeah. this baby needs you around and you're not with us. Mm. You're in the room, but you're not here. Yeah. And that week I sat down and I said to Adam, I'm like, buddy, let's go. Yeah. Let's see what's happening. And now we're back on the, you know, like any board, like you mentioned, and I remember a psychiatrist in the States told me this once, is like once you get the the kind of drug right, it's all dosages. Yeah. And sometimes it's too much, sometimes it's too little. Yeah. And it's not the same for years mm. and it's not the same for months. It's up and down yeah. and, and you've got to figure it out. That you saw that yourself and that you knew, very, very bloody good on you. Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, it was a huge step for me. Massive. And very strange. Because fuck, like, I didn't want to take it. I needed Audrey to kick, <laughs> kick me in the ass and well, make I me go. Well, I don't have an Audrey. Yeah. I mean, for me, that person was Tony. So I think a huge part of the years, the three years since he's died has been learning how to yeah. deal with that stuff myself because yeah. he he was the person who would notice when I was sort of going off track. But um, it was very strange the weekend before just being like, checking into hospital on Monday, like, and packing your little bag and having it not be like this catastrophic thing and and being devastated. It was just a very healthy, logical decision. And I um, will always pay the huge amount of health insurance I pay, even though right now I feel great. And I think I, I... 
I hope I never end up having to go again, but I just feel like I need to have that option available. And unfortunately, you know, in this country, our mental health system is so terrible that if you don't have insurance that covers that kind of long-term inpatient care, you have to go to a public hospital, which I did once when I was younger. And, and that is a lot closer to the screen oh, people I've spent, in the movies. I've spent time in those yeah. wars as an outpatient. Yeah. And there's a smell you never forget. I spent three weeks in one when I was about 20. So, wow. gosh, thir- 13 years ago now. And um, whew, it's intense. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of very tragic people. It's a lot of, you know, homeless, people psychotic people. Need a lot of help. Yeah, yeah a lot of – yeah, and um, it's – yeah, it, I, I – wouldn't wish Look, having to do that upon anyone. So, I mean, or what I... can I, tell you is when I lived in Venice, those people were on the street. Yeah. Right, well, yeah. So, so we're lucky that in this country there is that. We can at least, you know, we admit them somewhere. That. and Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I just, I'll always, I'll always make sure I'm covered so that I can go to site, like private psychiatric Fuck care yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just something that I have to make sure I'm taking care of it. And, I mean, I'll, I think I'll always be on medication, which I don't have a problem with. I think, you know, I'll always just the, – the one thing I learned since Tony died is that my there is a potential for me to crash again unless I stay vigilant about being on top of my mental health. So that's what I do now. So you mentioned it earlier and I, I just, no, you just didn't mention it then. You mentioned it earlier. You, weren't, you mentioned the scaffolding. And you mentioned stay vigilant. What does stay vigilant look like? Um, for me, it's being very honest and transparent with myself about what I need and what I can offer. Um, so I know I'm quite introverted. So I know I need a certain amount of time by myself. I know, like, for example, I probably couldn't go out more than two nights in a row. I probably wouldn't schedule when I'm touring. I wouldn't schedule shows more than two nights in a row. I am very honest about like my workload and how much I can manage. There are things that I want to do that I turn down because I know I can't do them. You know, I need to stay active. One of the, you know, like I said, one of the first signs that I'm not feeling okay is when my sleep goes all weird and I stop wanting to go out and do things and be active. So I swim a lot. So that really helps. I mean, it's just um, understanding your body and and your mind and and making sure that you um, have built your life in a way that um, you can keep it healthy, I guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it it does. It's, I guess, what would an analogy be is it's like you wouldn't drive a car and never get it serviced. You, You wouldn't drive a car and make sure that, especially like a Let's be honest. I'm 45 years old, right? <laughs> if I drove if I drove a car that was 45 years old, every day that I went to get it, I'd make sure the tires were okay. Yeah. I'd check the brake lights. I'd see oh, what needs work today. Oh, okay. I better just tighten this or or loosen that or mm. put a bit of lube here or dry a bit of you know a bit of spillage over there. The same goes for me. You know, I, I can't just expect that I will be okay. Yeah. I have to put in work to maintain a level of robustness and resilience to Mm. allow me to absorb life because if I just think that I'll be fine I fucking won't no same it's um I'm I'm probably giving you a bit of a scoop here but I'm writing a book with um my dear dear friend Jamila Rizvi who was my editor at Mamma Mia back in the day yeah. yeah she had a brain tumor 
and um, had to get, she's had two brain surgeries. First they went in through her nose, but then that wasn't enough. So then she had to get a full craniotomy. It's been hugely disruptive and um, and an incredibly difficult, excruciating thing to happen to her. It's benign, not cancerous, but it's still something pressing on bits of your brain. So you need to take it out. And um, we talked a lot about how we both have broken brains, but our illnesses have been treated very differently, which led to us deciding to write a book about it, which is what we're doing now. We're writing a book together about, you know, physical and mental health in this country and how the two are different and comparing and contrasting them. And and she and I talk about how similar what we both have to deal with is like she has to, you know, stay on top of keeping healthy. She has to stay on top of looking out for triggers to see if anything's gone wrong. And I do the same. And also what we um, spoke about recently, which blew our minds was that, you know, there's a, um, the brain tumor that she has, has a 10% mortality rate and the mental health issues that I have, PTSD and childhood trauma, also has a 10% mortality rate. So we both have, we're both at risk of death in the same amount. But I feel this sense of shame and embarrassment often talking about it that she doesn't. And, you know, when she got home from hospital, we talk about the meals. Her and her husband didn't have to cook for a month because people were dropping off food. And I mean, when I checked out of hospital, it was just like, okay, off you go. Like it's, it's, I think it's partly people don't know how to approach it with you and don't know how to talk about it with you. And partly because you don't really want to bring it up either. But it's, it's been very interesting talking to Jamila about how essentially we both have broken brains, but they're approached and treated so differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, weird. That, that, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, well, we're, very, we're writing it right now. That is so, so, so exciting. Luckily, she's really smart and does all the research and things, and I just write stories about myself. <laughs> but then Jamila's like, hold on, we need facts. And so there's incredible, like, interviews with all these, you know, medical professionals and, and, and everyday people who've gone through their own stuff and um, – it's going to be amazing. That sounds great. I love a two-hander. Yeah. I love it. I think that you guys will, you know, offset each, you know, each other's writing in a really lovely way. Yeah, and, and she's so organised. There's spreadsheets. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Very man. different to how I've ever written. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You're writing, you're writing fiction at the moment as yeah. well. What are your days like? What's your writing day like? Well, I mean, I'm working on so many projects at the moment that I actually, for the first time in my life, had to go get a year-long planner to put on the wall so I could see I mean gosh I'm I'm scheduled until like at the moment like August of next year which I guess you would understand with TV and stuff like you you're booked so far in advance but if you're lucky um, yeah yeah (laughs) um but I mean yeah I wake up I um I write, I just kind of write. I always have TV playing in the background. I, like how some people have music, I always have a background show and I just write whatever I happen to be working on that day. I actually go into the Southern Cross Stereo office a lot now because, um, you know, I go in there to kind of write, prepare for the pod, Just the Disc podcast each week, but um, I just really liked being in the office. So I said, can I just come in? And they were like, sure. <laughs> so they get, I got a little swipey card and I go in there and write a lot because it's nice to be around people because yeah. um, I can quite easily, because I'm so introverted, I love being isolated, but then 
you look up and you're like, oh, wait, I haven't left the house in four days. And so you have to, you know, that's good for me to keep on top of that. So I just, and then sometimes I'm in writer's rooms. So then I'll go off and, you know, do a bit of TV stuff, be in a room with other people. And, you know, it's all quite, it's quite a mixed bag really, but I like it. I'm excited for you. That is, that is super good. I can't work with a TV on. G can. G will work with a TV on and a Spotify and a Snapchat and she'll be writing. Yeah. I can't sleep without the TV on. Wow. (laughs) It's like, it's, I just think it's ingrained in me from being young. I tell you, I think there's a market in this and I reckon you should start it. We've got this baby crib at home. um, It's called a, it's called a snoo. All right. Yeah. Which is, uh, do you ever read the, there's a book called The Happiest Baby on the Block. And it, Can't say I've read it, but. <laughs> Dr. Harvey Carr. Anyway. Single 33 year old. <laughs> he's, well, you've got plenty of nieces and nephews, which we'll talk about. Um, but anyway, so basically it, it, it rocks the baby. Yeah. And plays white noise. Oh yeah. My sister has that. Yeah. yeah. I want a giant me, me sized one. <laughs> I want, uh, I want to be, which is essentially what a hammock is really. Mm. Like you, but I want it, I want the white noise and the swaddling. Cause when we shoot scoop scoops, yeah. when we shoot bachelor in paradise, yeah. right. Where we stay yeah. and where the car star is quite a ways away. Mm. So some days it doesn't make sense for us to come all the way back to where we stayed and then go back and do a, a rose yeah. ceremony. So we'll go and maybe drop some business in the afternoon and say, hey, this is what's happening. You're going to go out there. I'm so hard, trying hard to get the Savatula crossover. Oh, Oshie. I can't even tell you. I, I, pr- I have pitched, look, all those things <laughs> to make the challenges, all yes. the immunity challenge stuff, that's it's one ferry ride away in Sabu Sabu, right? They can put that stuff on a barge, so drive it down to the Coral Coast, drive the barge down the Coral Coast and then offload some puzzles or some know, sort right? of giant swing and boom, Savatula is happening. <sighs> Unfortunately, it's trying to get Shine and Warner Brothers to play together. Oh, That's the issue. There we go. So I'm trying real hard. Anyway, so sometimes then we'll have like four hours. Yeah, and right. Four, and I know four hours sounds like a long time, but four hours isn't quite long enough to yeah, leave, yeah. leave one set, go back to one and wait for another driver because we can't drive over there. We have mm. to get drivers with an insurance thing. So anyway, we have hammocks and I That's get in awesome. a hammock and I, we have <laughs> hammock time. And so I'll have a little nice. hammock time and it's really lovely. Anyway. Um, Can you hear the water? Yeah, oh, we're very so close. Oh, so you're yeah, in a hammock, close. you can hear the waves. And the soft sound of the mosquitoes getting <laughs> killed on the bug zapper that we have. Well, my sister, she has two newborns because she had twins. Well, they're four months old now. Um, and she has the white noise machine and the rocking machine. And she also has a two-year-old, Aya, who constantly tries to climb in it. Because I think there is just some kind of human mm. thing to want that, well, I've that learned, comfort. I've learned about it is that the... Human, like think of other mammals, mm. they're born able to walk mm. and evade predators, all right? But we, we aren't. Mm. We can't be because our brains would be so big we'd kill the mother on mm. the way out. So we're born early and so the, the last trimester happens basically outside the womb. And that's why at three months, which you you would have seen with the nieces and nephews, at three months suddenly the kid's there. Yeah. Suddenly they're making eye contact and talking and, and not talking, but they're reacting to you and holding your hand back and yeah. smiling when you smile and everything's turned on. Yeah. But for that first three months, the whole idea is how can you replicate the womb? Hold them tight, make noise because that's what mm. the blood sounds like inside them and rock them because that's what they feel like when they're in their mother. And you know what? It's um, interesting that a lot of my therapy um, – We've talked about this because my mum 
uh, took off when I was a few weeks old um, and left me with my dad, who was like a schizophrenic alcoholic. So it was a nightmare. And I've talked a lot with my psychiatrist about how being left as a newborn at that age basically causes brain injury. Does. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I'm still dealing with the effects of, of being left like that. Like my brain just developed differently yeah. because of the being abandoned at such a crucial point. Yes. And so it's um it's incredibly important to like you said replicate all that stuff and look after the baby in that way because if you don't permanent damage, man. Well, yeah, you I'm, I'm 33 and I'm still dealing with being left alone as a 3-week-old baby. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. The, the neural pathways that form around where is safety and yeah. where is attachment to people and yeah. where is if I cry I'll trust that if I cry soon, there will be warmth and cuddle and food. Mm, yeah, um, no, I didn't have that. Fucking hell, Rosie. Yeah, I'm so it causes. So sorry. But that's, I try to explain to people like if, you know, someone's in a car accident and they are brain damaged from it, people can understand that. And I say, that's essentially the same. I have a brain injury from the stuff that happened when I was young and, and PTSD is, you know, the, the symptoms of that that I have to deal with. So that's how it kind of. Oh, you teary because you've got your own little baby. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's all right. It's okay. You know what? The lovely thing is is seeing my sister not repeat that cycle. Yeah. And I also know, like, I haven't had children because yet. I mean, I, I would... I would like to, but only in very specific circumstances because I am very funny about wanting to make sure my children have just the most perfect experience I can give them. And so, you know, I, I want to have a partner and I want to have a home. I want to be able to raise them in the kind of family environment that I never had. And, you know, right now I'm working and I'm focusing on my career. I know I'm not in the position to provide that right now, which is why. So when people say, do you want kids? I say, yes if I can do it in a certain way. And my sister, you know, she has five kids and they're all just perfect and amazing. And I've watched her completely stop the cycle of trauma and abuse for the next generation, which I hope to do if I have kids as well. And that's the extraordinary thing that I've witnessed in Audrey and, in you know, I see it in myself, is mm. that we have this opportunity to transcend our ingrained reactionary behavior that we copy because we have mirror neurons we copy yeah. what we see we have the opportunity to go okay i'm going to stop this energy i'm going to i'm going to be the one that stops this my mm. great grandmother might have done it this way and taught it to my grandmother who taught it to my mother who yep. taught it to me this is a behavior that belongs in lithuania in the 1800s yeah not here yeah intergenerational trauma is um, incredibly destructive and incredibly um, difficult to reverse, I guess, but it can be done. It's yeah. just hard work, but yeah. it can be done. My sister is proof of that, and I hope to be proof of that. And there's a huge with us. There's a huge amount of healing in it too, Rosie. Mm. And I've I've known this because like all the codependency shit that I was, you know, if you if you take if <laughs> it was hilariously told to me. What do you get when you take an alcoholic and you take away the alcohol? You get a codependent. Like, yeah. This is basically, <laughs> you know, yeah. something, something along those lines. And so all the codependency shit that I was just carrying around like, mm. a, you know, like two Chinese laundry bags full of, you know, uh, 
plastic bottles on bin night, you know, yeah. you know, basically like lugging these things, these stinking things down the street. I couldn't heal that outside of a relationship. Yeah. As much as work as I was doing with my psychologist and as much work as I was doing on myself, outside of a relationship, very, very hard to heal that shit. Mm. Inside a relationship, a safe, nurturing, loving relationship with someone who gives a shit enough to be with you has allowed me to heal so many of those things and mm. trust that when I've got my phone open and she glances over at the couch to see what I'm looking at, mm. that's not her trying to control me. Mm. That's not her trying to dictate my life. That's not her. Like it's she's just looking at because she's interested. Yeah. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to then hide my phone and go, what the fuck, what do you yeah. want? <laughs> like all that shit. You know, all these boundary things that I had just didn't exist yeah. within a relationship. And and so similarly, which I've learned from being a stepfather, the amount of rewriting of the family program that I thought existed, mm. it's almost like, Rosie, it's almost like with Audrey's help and watching how she mothers, I'm like, oh, oh it wasn't just the way that I saw it or yeah. my experience. My mum was just doing all she knew. That's it. Yeah. And that's fine. There's other ways to do it. And in this space, I'm now rewriting what it is. Mm. And here we are. And now Wolfie's here. We get that cho that chance again. So I, two things. One, you're on such a great career path. I firmly believe that the person for you is also on this path. I don't feel you'll have to go out and find them. I feel that they yeah. are on this path. They're on a parallel path and this person will just... You, one of you will take just a little shimmy to the left or the right one day and you'll bump into each other and that's it. You won't be swiping left or right. No, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I in my early 20s, I very much would just cling to whoever I could find. And it's been the last, I'd say, five or so years that I've become very picky about who I am with. And if someone doesn't feel right, I kind of let it go. But I'm also not super duper looking. Like I, I really like the saying, finding someone to be with is like, doing a fart it just happens and if you have to push it then it's shit <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> if you have to push it it's shit uh, you just gotta let it happen yeah. um you know I would love to find someone like my own Audrey but I'm not looking for it it's just it's I guess it's a difference between want and need of course I would want that but yeah. I don't need it yeah. um but yeah I I just I know who I like and who I don't. That's fine. <laughs> so if someone comes along, yeah. I, you know, that would be lovely and nice. And, and I very much have an idea in my head of the kind of family I want to create for myself. It's the kind of family I never had. And so, you know. Oh, and, and I know you happens. will. And yeah. there's, there's, like I said, there's, I have experienced a huge amount of healing. Yeah. That is impossible at, inside a therapist's room and it's impossible to do by reading a book or impossible to do by yourself. Mm. You can only do it by doing it. Yeah. And that's the only place it can happen. And I and I, and I really, I would want you to have that mm. so much. Well, I had it with Tony. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I do, in a sense, know what that feels like. And his family, I mean, I call his parents mum and dad. Oh, I love it. I call a lot of other people's parents mum and dad, actually. <laughs> like, Richard Glover, I say he's my other dad. I, I adopt everyone as parents. Um, I think we all want Richard Glover as our... Oh, don't we just? Yeah. Talk to me about, you know, the intricacies of the, the, the fact that AlphaGo beat a human player for 20 minutes and then throw to some traffic. Will you, Richard? <laughs> 
I love him. Um, he, yeah, I just. They take a call and yeah. then come back to me. God, he's good. Oh, now, Rosie, tell us something ridiculous about The Bachelor. All right. And then we off we go. He's just, oh, he's the best. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'm sure it will happen. I, you know, I also have a, my sisters and I have created a really great family unit too. Yeah. So we have that with each other. Isn't it interesting that as adults, mm. and I've noticed this with my, my brothers and I, we have, you have three sisters. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I, have, I have three brothers. Yeah, we have recreated mm. our relationship as adults. Yeah, it is not an extension of our childhood relationship. It is a fresh version mm. of who we are to each other. Yeah, we and have really two. Nice. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because if if it was a continual line from where we were as kids, no, yeah, it wouldn't be happening. Well, we spent so much time apart as kids because you know we were in different foster homes oh. and you know we were split a lot. It was what my youngest sister Bella. I didn't see her for almost eleven years. Lord. Um, and and so yeah, we had we were kind of forced to rebuild yeah. and reconnect and um, and do things in that way. I think my older sister Rhiannon is certainly like a surrogate mother to all of us. She's always had that kind of maternal energy about her. I always say that she has six kids because I'm her six. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, yeah, like, so we kind of have that dynamic, I guess, with us too, which is nice. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You mentioned Bachelor briefly. Yeah. Um, the show that brought us together. <laughs> I know. I. Uh, it's been fun I'm recapping so it I'm so happy to have you back, Rosie. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you back. You know many, what? It many, was. <laughs> it, it, you know, many have tried. Many have imitated. You started the ball rolling. People pay their mortgages doing recaps, Rosie. And I you know. began it. No, I wouldn't say that. I don't know. <laughs> you know who my favourite is, though? Rebecca Shaw is very good. She does them for. Fuck, she's um, good. Is it Pedestrian, I think it's for? What was my favourite um, one of her? Uh, she, Sam Wood the other night. The worst thing is you're dating 20 women at the same time and they're all best friends. Welcome to what it's like to be a lesbian, yeah, Sam. That, That's the best oh fucking God. line. I screenshotted that line. Such a good line. She is so good because she does it from the perspective of, like, the gay woman putting up with all your heteronormative nonsense. She is the funniest person in the world. So she, people do them really well now. But, I mean, the difference is I'm doing it on a podcast, which I was worried wouldn't quite I, – I was really worried about going from writing them, which so much specific skill and timing and rhythm went into, like having a gif in a certain place and understanding where people would be scrolling and, and a, lot of, a lot more thought goes into that than what people think. So I was a bit worried about 
doing it verbally rather than written. But um, it took us a couple episodes, I think, but we're in our rhythm now. It's quite fun, quite funny. And to be honest, it's lovely because I stopped doing it after Tony died because I just didn't feel funny anymore. You know what I mean? I just was like, I can't. I, I I think I did one season after he died and and barely made it through and um, I just thought I can't. He was such a huge part of me doing it, you know what I mean? And and um and so it's it's actually really nice coming back to the bachelor community again because it feels like it's been three years of healing and mm. it's really nice to be back in there and, and part of it and and just making, which you know I, I'm never nasty, so just kind of making very affectionate fun of this show that I love. It's I've really loved doing it again oh, more so than I thought I would. Oh, so happy. I know it's- because, I mean, the podcast, just the gist is originally, like it's going to be me just recapping anything and anything to a friend of mine and, and we weren't going to do The Bachelor, but we sort of thought, well, this would be a great way to build an audience if I do the first, you know, 10 or so weeks of whatever of The Bachelor and then we transition into doing other stuff. And I was like, oh, do we have to? I'm not sure I want to. But from the first week I was like, oh, I miss this so much. <laughs> yeah. So I've had a lot of fun. Oh, I'm so happy. Writing about you again. Oh, and, oh gosh, it's been the best. I... Uh I've been very proud this season of getting physics puns in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Very proud. I've got to say, Matt is the first bachelor I've had a crush on because he's, he's he's my type. Like the other I'm a ner- I'm a I'm a TV comedy nerd and and the others are all you know like these kind of god-esque men and with their personal training and their whatever, which is fine. It's just not he is more my type. A smart nerd is my type. And so I've got a bit of a crush on him. My, I have a crush on him. My first <laughs> okay. conversation, my, one of my first conversations with him is uh, so there's often on, on those group dates, right? And there's sometimes mm. there's 18 people yeah. on a group date. Yeah. This is bonkers what we do, right? And it can take a little time for 18 people to get out of a bunch of, you know, sponsor cars. Yes. And then <laughs> we move the cameras down and then we get the photo shots of them walking down a hill and then we move mm-hmm. the cameras to another spot and then we get all their faces while I give them whatever. Yeah. But we've got to be standing there the whole time so they can wave at us, and right? And this can take, you know, five minutes, ten yeah. minutes because we've got to move four cameras each time. And so we, he and I were talking, we were discussing da-da-da, and he blew my fucking mind the first day we worked together. and On oh no, a second day we worked together on the first group date and we were talking about something about Antarctica and he goes, oh, I'm a big fan of that. I almost went down there. There's a station down there. The, the one I'm really excited about is like an Australian station in Antarctica and they discovered the gravitational waves that proved the Big Bang happened. And I went, <laughs> that blows my mind. That's amazing. That sort of stuff really impresses me. He goes, you know what impresses me? It's the Big Bounce. I know what the Big Bang is, Matt Aggie. What's, what's the Big Bounce? He goes, oh, the Big Bounce is those gravitational waves that we've detected that are the expansion of the universe going outward, oh, right? I love him. The Big Bounce is that those <laughs> waves essentially one day slow down and then start contracting again and every atom in the universe comes back to a singularity and we are right now in the trillionth iteration of every piece of matter in the universe coming together to a single point and exploding again. And my head, okay, ready, three, two, one, go. I'm like... How could he Fuck. not? How could he not live every day of his life in a major ex- existential crisis? You know what I mean. To have that kind of information, where 
that you understand. I, I don't well, know. Well, this is what I ask him all the time. I'm like, <laughs> you're an astrophysicist. Yes. You know, like, how do you deal with the concept of divinity? Yes. You know, because you look out and what's the observable universe? He goes, well, we can only observe to 64 million light years away, but we know it goes beyond that. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. All right. And he goes, so is there reverence? about that, you know, because, like, the concept of divinity and, and an interventionist God that yeah. only deals with us tiny little humans and helps us pass exams and win football games, it's like it doesn't compute yeah. when you're looking at that expanse. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, it's, and which, you know, these are the conversations that he and I have. Oh, God. And you know what else, though? I He's, he's really funny. He is. Like, on his Instagram, he'll put a photo and he'll do these captions that I'm not sure everybody quite picks up but they're always some kind of brutal joke like really like to do with the show like he's clever and he's funny and which makes me hope if because I make quite merciless fun of him (laughs) on the podcast but I feel like he's he has humor enough that he you know gets it I call him Astro Bachi and I say his job is space guessing which (laughs) someone sent me a um uh message saying like how dare you it would have taken him so long to get that degree and you're disrespecting I'm like I say it's space guessing because I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of it. He is just fun. He seems funny and smart and lovely and just you, such a good choice for the show. You know the best thing about working with someone who has, or spending time with someone who has a PhD in astrophysics, who's a doctor? They are not afraid to not know something. Yes. Because they're like, I've got a PhD in astrophysics. Yeah. All right. So we're sitting here in this studio at Batuta, and I might say, "Oh, how good's this GoPro sitting here?" And be like, "I've no idea what that is. How's it work?" Yeah. And he's got no problem not knowing shit because he's like, "Yeah, oh, I've got a PhD in astrophysics." Because he's completely I'm smart as fuck. Yeah, he's completely <laughs> confident in his own self, like yeah. his worth around his knowledge and his intelligence. So why wouldn't he? He's not like me. He goes, "Oh, the GoPro Hero." Ah, uh, yes. Seven with the. <laughs> Ports. This one's got more ports than the last one, doesn't it? Like, well, yeah. I mean, it's like how they say um, men who are really comfortable in their masculinity aren't afraid to be in touch with their feminine side. It's the same thing. It's like if you're really comfortable in your intelligence, you're not afraid to look silly, which he often does on the show, very, I like. It's yeah. a very silly show. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Beck Shaw and, yeah. and I know it's something that I, – I, look, I certainly – I just noticed your phone case. Your phone case is Stars and Planets. Yes. Is that in case you run into Mad Avenue? <laughs> no, it is. I just I like I'm really into space stuff. Probably you, why I have a big crush on if, him. If you run into Mad Agnew, he'll he'll go, Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice phone case, Roger Wallen. Um I weekly will get into Twitter conversations with people who are like, How come there isn't a same sex bachelor? I'm like, look, mm. if you can create a format that has enough jeopardy, enough tension, mm. enough hooks, and enough power over a both short and long and season-long story arcs mm. that can run in prime time, I'll help you pitch it. Let's, yeah. let's fucking go. Let's make one. Yeah. All right? And I reckon it's to be made. MTV are trying hard. There's mm. one that MTV are making, but I don't think it's prime time. Not prime time network. Mm. I'd fucking love there, to make one. A lot one. goes into making a TV show that people don't realise. Like no. I, I saw your Twitter conversation about that. And like people saying, well, what do we have to send? Like, what do I have to write? I'll I'll send it to them. It's like, no, you don't understand. Like, these pitch documents to networks are like thirty pages long, and it's you've got to prove that it'll make money. Yeah. Like that's to be honest. At the end of the day, a network wants to know is this going to make us money, and that's really hard to to. And an episode of a yeah. show like ours, I'm not talking out of school, but any kind of big reality show, you are looking at anywhere between. 
150 to 350 or more an episode. Mm. All right? Yeah. 1,000. Yeah. For one hour of television. Yeah. Okay. Over 16 apps over a series or 18 apps or however long your episode season is. Mm. All right. That's a lot of money you're asking someone else to pay mm-hmm. to make your show. So, yeah, in my heart of hearts, I want to make the, you know, non-hetero, let's call it that, yeah. the non-hetero dating show prime time. Yeah. And to make it, we have to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Because this stuff isn't free. We can't go out and shoot it on phones. I did a speaking event recently and there was a Q&A and one of the questions was, what change would you like to see in the world? And I just immediately went, gay bachelor. <laughs> and the room just went really quiet because I think they were expecting me. And then I was like, oh, and world peace. <laughs> uh, right, 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 right. I was like, oh. <laughs> but, I mean, everyone wants to see it. It'd be... I mean, it'd be super entertaining, but you've got to prove it'll make money and you've got to, it's, you know. I guess as well, like for me, and I spoke with Sally Rugg about this, I would want to be sure that it wasn't, it wasn't a zoo exhibit. Exactly, You know, you, you, I I look at, you know, I look at my own brother's relationship and with his husband Mm. and I'm like, that is, people want to see that. I want people to see how in love and nurturing this mm. relationship is it's not while drag race is yeah i was gonna say i think people think that it's just gonna be rupaul's but with osha and it's but like don't no. get me wrong rupaul's amazing i think yeah, a lot of people but, miss rupaul but people, as a romance dating show yeah it's different it, these are real people who want to find real love how can you show love 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 yeah not a, a ruthless drag queen at a midnight show yeah every you know, and, and having the cast having pressure to come up with those kind of one-liners and just, you know, just zingers. Mm. Like that won't do the reason that we want to make a non-hetero bachelor exactly. any favours. Yeah. We, you want to do it to, to like in the same way Audrey said the other night we were watching too, my mm. wife, she's Fijian, mm. and she's going, oh, I saw an island, there was an islander on that ad and that islander wasn't just a guy uh, in the ad, the guy the Islander was the one saying how good the product was. He was the one speaking with a voice of authority. And, and I, you know, it's an old line and we say it all the time, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And as a kid, I mean, Audrey, when we went and saw Moana, mm. Audrey wept. Yeah. Because she had never seen her culture on the big screen. Yeah. It was as if they were invisible, mm. all right, the Pacific Islands. And then, unfortunately, to our Prime Minister, they are. Mm. Um uh, when it comes to climate change, that is. Yeah. And, you know, to see an Islander not as a token, not as the one who's the punchline of the, you know, betting commercial as, yeah. as we've seen. It's like, no, 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 he's the one who's the one in charge yeah. who's selling the thing. Like it's so important to have that. And so to do a non-hetero bachelor, it would have to be, no, this is just another thing. Yeah, it's just another. Another people falling in love. That's all it is. Yeah. It's not... The sequins and the sass. Yeah, it's not. Tonight at 7.30. It's not the sassy bachelor. No. It's just the bachelor. Yeah. yeah. Or the whatever it or is. Or the whatever, yeah. And you know what I'm sensing? I'm sensing a weekend with you and me and a whiteboard. And yes. <laughs> we'll come up with the format. Yes. And while we're there, Savatula as well. Fuck Savatula. God. Yeah. How? Which my little sister would be the perfect contestant for because she's a personal trainer, so she's like powerful as and she's got this shaved head but she's also like astronomically beautiful and kind of glam so yeah, i was like can she play the social game though because the social game is now we're in social well game i town. think so i think yeah. she could so she's contestant number one i'm fucking loving survivor oh like, i'm obsessed 
I last love night it so with much. Janine Wind. Fucking oh hell. Oh my God. I tweeted you last night. I was like, how are we going to even do the podcast tomorrow morning? This episode has been so intense. It's so intense. <laughs> like, it's, oh, I've been waiting for Janine to go for so long. I, I know. Unfortunately, unfortunately you, I, I know a little too much about how the sausage is made. Right. So I see, and I won't say it out loud, but I see nuances and clues in the edits. As to who's going to win. As to outcomes. Well, That's I, all I'll say. I, I notice it too, I think. I mean, I... I'm not behind the scenes like you are, but, I mean, I have been a student of television mm-hmm. since I was young. And so I I have my predictions about who I think. Like, they certainly started giving Janine an edit that I knew she wasn't going to win. I was mm. like, she's going to go. They've been giving Pia a definite kind of winner's edit. I really want Luke to win. See, that's the thing. If you're – now we're talking Survivor, okay. I don't, know, uh, sorry, I don't know. No, it's fine. I don't know when I'm going to put this show up, uh, but I, I, I want to do it soon because I want this conversation to be relevant. Mm. Um, no, if they don't get rid of Luke, mm. no one can beat no him one can in front beat of him. the jury. They know that, yeah. Because he's also- so likeable and who's not going to give half a million dollars to a man who's got a 12-week-old child with CF? I know. That's what I keep thinking, like – how could Janine, who was you know a multi gazillionaire, take that money and went and Luke doesn't get it? Yeah. Like that was never no, going to work. No jury was ever going to give Janine <laughs> yes, the money. I know. And just that Janine even did this show. I know, right? Like she a, was kick ass. Fuck, she was amazing. Oh, she was a powerhouse. Fuck, she was so oh, good to she watch was her. Just fucking like ball of. Boss woman. I loved it. I loved watching her. I loved watching her get evicted as well just because it was so great to finally see the person who seemed like the absolute expert of this game get blindsided. It was exciting to watch. Yeah. But I I, I love her. She That she is on this season, was on this season, is still. She's on the jury now. Yeah. Brought so much legitimacy because mm. here's a woman who is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, probably made the half million dollars, probably made it between Monday 4 p.m. and Thursday 10 a.m. <laughs> yes. All right? Her businesses that she's yeah. built are that successful because she's that fucking good, right? Mm. She does not need to be there. Mm. She spent 44 days living under a palm frond with sand in every orifice, mm. eating coconut and rice and no showers, stinking, mm. because she's like, oh, fuck this, but- I'm going to own this. She, and she has, like, I, she didn't need to win to own it. Like, I've watched it and learned so much about how to relate to people and how to manage people. Just watching the way she works and watching the way she approached strategy, um, I feel like I learned a lot from her, mm. watching her over the last, whatever it's been, month and a bit. Like, yeah. she didn't need to win to look baller. Like, no. she's just. And now done she's so on the well. other side. Yeah you're now going to have to impress her. Yeah, that's, right. I love this format. It's such a clever format because mm. now you have to impress everyone that you kicked off and, and knifed. Mm. Uh, so I think if they don't get rid of Luke because they're going to have to get rid of Luke yeah. and they're all going to have to wear the fact that they took half a million dollars from a sick kid, yeah. um, if they don't get rid so of Luke, brutal. it's horrendous. <laughs> if they don't get rid of Luke, Luke will win. Yeah. If not, I reckon it'll be Henry Pia <laughs> final. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, because he, I love him. Mm. He just dark horsed the crap out of it. Because they'll get Abby. The moment they get oh, Abby, they'll Abby, get her. Abby's not The moment gonna, they get yeah. a chance, they'll get her. Abby will go. Um, Baden's just kind of, I feel like he just snuck through the end. 
but um, Harry and Pia, he has played the game. Like, there were moments when he was literally dangling over the drain and was about to go and he has somehow, like, just through sheer skill of the game, made it this far. Yeah. Like, the fact that there were times when Janine was literally about to send him home and last night he sent her away yeah. was just... He has played it. Like, I feel like if he won, I'd he deserves it. Does he get a different chewy stick every time or does he <laughs> no, does he keep his little is. does he keep his little mouth stick in his in his rose ceremony bag and <laughs> oh, fucking rose ceremony. Ah. Um, <laughs> tribal council bag. Oh, Savatula. Savatula. Yeah. Well, you know, I have people have given him shit for that, but I um I always the second I saw him do that, I was like, that's a nervous thing. Yeah. I think it is. Like, I, yeah, like, I, I do things like, I don't know if you know, I've been playing with my cuticles this whole, to, like, I do that just as a way to sort of, like, keep myself present and, and when I get a bit nervy, I think it's a nerve thing. Because you've got to keep He's a poker face. He's feigning his confidence and that helps him do that. You've got to keep a poker face yeah. in that because you've got... Like, people Seconds. have been like, he's so arrogant. And I was like, no way, he's terrified. <laughs> That's what the stick is for. I'm obsessed with it this year. It's Channel 10 has just, mwah, chef's kiss. It's been so good. It's that good. The Bachelor as well. Mwah, yeah. Chef's kiss. It's They've gross. just upped their game on so much stuff this year. If you were asked to do Survivor and you knew, say, because they've just gone now, they're, yeah. they're there doing a second season, I reckon they'll do two next year. Mm. Um I don't know anything about Channel 10 told me when we were doing Masking Up this morning. They told me. <laughs> Which also looks amazing. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Uh, 23rd of September. I've been I, messaging people asking them if they're in it because so I, I feel like I can already tell. I was texting James Matheson going and in rehearsals <laughs> going, hey, Jimmy, how are you going? And he'd write right back. I'm like, okay, it's not you because you're standing on stage. Like, uh, <laughs> because like, anyway. Yeah. Um, so they told me, oh, Monday night. I'm like, Monday? No, 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 that's Survivor night. We can't go on Monday night. No. Like, it's okay, Survivor's over by then. Oh, I <laughs> I know that with The Bachelor and Survivor, I'm watching free-to-air TV almost every night of the week yeah, now, I which is genius, but Channel 10 is pretty much the only free-to-air channel I watch. So let's say, Rosie, let's say um, Stephen Tate uh, from Channel 10, the man that gave, my, gave me my career twice now, yeah. calls up and says, Rosie, I want you to do Champions versus Contenders. <laughs> and he says, we leave in, when do they go? They go around February. Yeah. Say he tells you, I want you to do it the February season. Yeah. You've got six months to get ready. Yeah. What do you do? Okay. First of all, fitness for sure. I'd need to get fitter because um, some of those challenges. Um, so I'd start doing that straight away. I'd also do what Janine did, and this is smart. She researched and talked to people about the best kind of like, this is what she saw, the best kind of fabrics to wear, the best kind of shoes to bring. All, so I'd research all of that. I'd also go back and watch Survivor from start to finish, the American obviously because there's like 20 billion seasons, the American and the Australian seasons, because that's where you learn the strategy and the social game. So that's what I'd do. Right. I'd prep big time. I would so – I would do – I would learn how to make fire. Oh, yeah, all in that In seven ways. Yeah. When uh, Audrey and I, uh, after we finished shooting Bachelor in Paradise last year, uh, we went off to this beautiful little island called Tokoriki to have a couple of days together. Yeah. And right across from there is where they shoot the American one. Yeah. Yeah, oh. you can see the island where oh. they shoot it from. Oh, yeah. And the dive boat, um, we went out diving and the dive boat um, was saying, I see that village right there. I'm like, yeah. Um, said, our, one of our guys here, we had some people from America because they were on they, were, they know that far out. They shoot back-to-back -back yeah. in the States. These contestants knew that far out they were going to be there in August. 
So they went out in like September. October, mm. they went down there. They got some guys from the village. So I'm just, I'm on it. We've got a table here. And I'm just showing how close the islands are to Rosie. Mm. So there's these, this is where we stayed. That's the survivor island. This is where the village is. Yeah. Okay. So they're on three different islands and the same village is all yeah, three yeah, islands. Yeah. Okay. So the guys from the resort, the Americans, went to this village. They paid a couple of guys from the village to take them over to the survivor islands. Yeah. They weren't shooting. And they said, teach us what fish to catch, mm-hmm. how do we cut this tree down, how do I thatch this together to make a roof, how do I shelter yeah. when there's rain. And they spent two weeks out there, months in advance. I would totally do that shit. That's what – well, Janine did that. She said she got there like a week early, a week before everyone else and learnt how to do a bunch of stuff and learnt about the climate and learnt about the tools she could use. I mean, it's all about basically – Jamila, um, my best friend, gave me this advice for your career. She said, wherever you work – make a rosy-shaped hole that can't be filled by anyone else. And I think you need to do that on Survivor. You need to make a U-shaped hole. You need to make yourself an asset. So if you know six months out that you're going to be on the show, you spend that six months doing every possible thing you can to make sure that when you're there, people don't want to vote you out because you'll leave a hole that no one else can fill. That's what you got to do, man. I couldn't think of a better way to end this podcast. <laughs> it's not going to be a rosy shaped hole. It'll be an osher shaped hole. <sighs> Just make a U-shaped hole that nobody else can fill. Yep. And things will be all right. Rosie, I really, we could, I could talk to you we all day. We could all day. I but know. But the good people of the Tudor are probably going to have to come <laughs> in here and and drop some some solid satirical content that yep. is probably the closest thing to actual news that our country's seeing at the moment, <laughs> which is why they have such an important role in our culture at the moment. Yeah. They, they really are. Because how else are you going to tell blokes with utes about climate change? Fucking right. yeah. make a Batuta meme out of it. They go, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, I guess we should do something. Yes, yes, we should. <sighs> Best satire we've got going in this and country, Batuta boys. And they're lovely. They yeah. were very excited that you were coming in today. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can't. It's, I'm so flattered they even know who I am. Of course like, they know who you exciting, are. That's exciting, isn't yeah. it? The talent and the skill it takes to, like, I have such a comedy crush on these boys. It's the They're stuff right they come up with. Let's go out and say hi. Yeah, amazing. Love you, Rosie. Love you too. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Rosie Waterland. You can find her everywhere online at Rosie Waterland, her new podcast, Just the Gist is everywhere that podcasts are. You can also find her podcast, the one that won the big award that the ACRAs, um, ACRAs, Australian Commercial Radio Awards, yes. Uh, My Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Uh, That is also wherever podcasts are. Big thank you to my show producer, Rachel Barrett, Andy Marr, my audio producer that cut the show today, Toe Hyder, who made all the music, the brand new theme songs, which I love dearly. And a very big thank you to Clancy Overell, Errol Parker, and Anthony Stockdale over at Batuta Advocate uh, for letting me use the Desert Rock FM studios to make the show now that we Wolfie is using my office as a baby room, which is fair enough. He has more right to it than I do. Thank you so much for listening. Um, your ace. If you need anything through the week, send us your email at gmail.com. Until I speak to you next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. <laughs>